Good morning. Welcome to fellowship. I invite you to take a deep breath with me. How is your spirit doing this morning? Whether you are celebrating good news or anticipating something with excitement, or whether you feel you barely just made it across the finish line this past week, or you're worried about the coming week, or perhaps some mixture of the two, God welcomes us right here, right now. So grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. As we gather together this morning, we reorient and recenter ourselves in the grander story of God and God's kingdom. Today, friends, is the final Sunday of Lent, and it's a special one. We call it Palm Sunday or Passion Sunday because it's when we remember the story of Jesus entering Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, greeted with waving palm branches and cries of Hosanna, which means Lord, save us. Today is celebratory, but it's also tinged with sadness as we know that those cries of the crowd quickly turned to cries of crucify him. We will end our time together this morning at the communion table. So if you're joining us online, first of all, welcome. We invite you to gather your elements, maybe right at this moment, to gather some bread or crackers and wine or juice so you can partake with us. As we sing praises to our King this morning, for those of us who are here in the sanctuary, we invite you to use your palm branches, waving them as we sing, and especially as we sing Hosanna. This morning, as we enter into this story anew, may we be willing to turn from our faulty expectations of who we want King Jesus to be and see him for who he really is, the crucified and risen Lord of all. Would you stand and let's sing together. Rising, 
may be seated. we pray together. Uh, we're going to try something called breath prayer. Um, as you were making your way into the sanctuary, you were given a card and the practice is on the card. Um, and we would love to see you engage in that this week as a part of our Lenten journey. Uh, so we're going to try it this morning. And we've actually done this a couple of times here at Fellowship. How many of you have tried breath prayer before? A couple of folks. Um, so repeat for some people familiar, um, not as familiar for others. Uh, breath prayer is essentially a short, um, ancient, contemplative type of prayer. Uh, in breath prayer, we make our breath a part of the prayer as a way of remembering that our very breath comes from God. Uh, in breath prayer, we also direct our attention to God um, by offering um, a name of God that we read from the scriptures and by offering a hope or a desire of ours um, that emerges out of our lives back to God. In breath prayer, we offer both our breath and our hopes to God. This morning, we will do a Palm Sunday-themed breath prayer. Um, as we uh, inhale and exhale, we'll say, Hosanna, Lord, save us. I'll try, I'll demonstrate that for a second here. Uh, breathe in. Hosanna. Breathe out. Lord, save us. Yeah, you guys are great. Uh, so you may pray silently or loud as you breathe um, in this prayer. Um, and lastly, um, breath prayer is one of those prayer practices that you can kind of um, retreat into your prayer closet to do. Um, but the beauty of breath prayer is that it doesn't require silence. It doesn't require a lack of chaos or noise or little tiny feet running across the floor. Um, and that way you can make any place you are in, um, be it a meeting where you really need to breathe or, or a moment um, in your kitchen when you really need to breathe, that place becomes your prayer closet. Um, so that said, would you, would you pray with me? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we gather in gratitude this morning, grateful for the breath in our lungs and for the praise that we can offer to you and for the encouragement that we can offer to others. This morning, we are also mindful of the things that take our breath away the situations, the strife, the hostility, the challenges in our lives that cause us grief and pain, the places where we need your deliverance and your salvation. For this reason, this morning we pray, Hosanna, Lord, save us. 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 Amen. As we continue in a posture prayer, I invite you to sing with us this prayer, Breathe on Me, Breath of God. Would you stand and let's sing together? Mm -hmm. 
children of God, it is because of Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection that we have peace with God and with one another. The peace of Christ be with you. I invite you to share a sign of that peace with your neighbor as you are comfortable. My name is Tiara. I'm one of the pastors here at Fellowship, where our mission is to love God and others as an accepting community centered in Christ and focused on developing faithful followers of Jesus. Uh, If you are new with us, uh, if this is your first Sunday here, maybe you've been here for a couple of Sundays and you're ready to take that next step to get to know us a little bit better as a community, uh, there are some cards in the back called Connection Cards. They look like this. Uh, You can fill one of those out and you can take it over to the Welcome Center. And there's some great folks there who would love to meet you and greet you by name and um, help you to get to know us a little bit better. Uh, A few things for us this morning, if I can just get to my notes. There we go. Uh, (laughs) So... This week, uh, this Sunday, Palm Sunday, marks the beginning of Holy Week, um, and there are lots of really fun, amazing, um, also memorable and remarkable ways to mark this season, uh, to mark the passion of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, We have our Good Friday service planned for this, obviously coming Friday at 6.30 here at Fellowship. Um, and um, on Saturday morning, we are hosting our excellent event. You see what we did there? Excellent, yeah. <laughs> uh, that will be a wonderful, delightful, family-friendly event uh, for us here at Fellowship to just kind of hang out and have some fun with each other, but also for you to invite your friends and, and other folks who are looking for a way to connect with others um, and who are interestingly excited to hold pygmy goats. There will be pygmy goats because Critter Barn will be there. So we'd love to see you out at that. Um, And then lastly, our Easter Sunday services um, are at our traditional service times, 9 o'clock and 1030 uh, this coming Sunday. Uh, You get to invite people um, to our, any and all of those things. Um, There are actually some invitations out on the Welcome Center if you want to grab one of those on your way out. There's someone in particular that you're thinking of. If you would like to be a part of our Easter choir, uh, that's coming up in a week, um, and rehearsal is on Wednesday, and if you have not already done so, you should definitely tell Jess that you want to be a part of it. Don't show up on Sunday morning to be in the Easter choir if you have not talked to Jess yet. (laughs) It'll be very, very complicated. Uh, So... (laughs) Uh, Coming up in a couple of weeks is our congregational meeting, Uh, and during that meeting, we will have um, our next congregational meal. So instead of table to table today, we're actually moving it to April 23rd, just before the congregational meeting. Uh, During that time, we'll just celebrate some really, really fun things that have been happening in our community over the course of the year. 
things that we have participated in as a church community will be a blast. And we've also got some business to take care of. And so uh, strongly, strongly, enthusiastically encourage you to join us for that so that we can both celebrate and also take care of business as a community there. Uh, new members will also be that day. Um, if you are ready to take the next step to um, join us to be a part of the Fellowship Reformed Church community, uh, new members is on April 23rd, um, and it will overlap with the congregational meeting. So um, if you would like to take the steps to get to know us a little bit better as a community, you can reach out to any of the pastors um, or over, go over to Welcome Center, and they'd be happy to help you out there. Uh, this is the last week of the Lenten season, um, and on the cards that you received on your way in um, are our practices for the week, the breath prayer, which we've already tried, and then also a practice, um, something that we're trying, um, visiting the prisoner. Um, it's one of the practices that Jesus highlights in Matthew 25, uh, and we've got a couple of ways that we're, we're hoping to do that. One of them is an ongoing opportunity um, through Bob Ellis, um, who um, is forming a group of chaplains to uh, work with Forgotten Man Ministries. And it's an ongoing opportunity that you'll hear more about in the future. Uh, this week's practice, though, is um, in collaboration with the Calvin Prison Initiative uh, through our very own Carrie Bosma, who's one of the leaders of the Calvin Prison Initiative. Um, through that, we have something like 90... Um, 90 people who are in one of the prisons here in Michigan who are actually, their faces and a little bit of information about them are, are actually over at Welcome Center. How many people? 90. That's a lot of people. So if you're thinking, if you're thinking, how can I that live into Christ's call to visit the imprisoned this week. One way would be to write a note of encouragement to these particular individuals uh, who, because of the graciousness of Calvin and their just innovation, um, are essentially in a degree program in Christian leadership, not so that they can, um, specifically um, as people who are, are all, most of them are lifelong, um, lifelong inmates um, in a prison, and yet they're stepping into this program and um, being invited to and taking very, very seriously the call to be a conduit of God's grace in the prison where they are um, and the impact of that not only on them and the people around them, but also the people who return to their communities. And so it's a fantastic program. You'll hear a little bit more about that, a lot of bit more about that during the sermon, but strongly encourage you to, um, to join us in writing notes of encouragement to them as they finish the semester, as they prepare for exams, um, as they um, continue to be a light in, um, in the place that they're in. With that, um, kids ages three years to first grade are dismissed um, to follow Miss Betsy. Um, and we will, as we transition to the sermon, uh, we have one final art installation um, this week um, presented by two members of the fellowship community. So turn your attention to the screen and check it out. My name is Erin Bodenbender. This is my second piece I've done for the Lenten Gallery, as most of you already know. And this piece that I've created is about sitting in judgment. This is the story of Pontius Pilate sitting in front of Jesus and Barabbas and asking the crowd who they should free and which prisoner they should free. The part of this story that really resonated with me was the thought of Pilate um, wanting to wash his hands of the situation. He didn't want to condemn Jesus. He offered Barabbas as an alternative to give the people an out and to go against the common law and what they were saying. And that just really resonated because I think we look at this story as a time where Jesus was condemned so quickly by everyone. 
including Pilate, and that wasn't really the truth. And so I thought in creating this piece that I wanted to look at the story from Pilate's point of view. And that's what we see. We see Pilate and see the scene from his eyes. This was a piece done in acrylics, which meant it was a really fun medium to work with. I specialize in acrylics. And so I loved all the colors that I got to incorporate and the way that I got to do a little bit of realism and abstractism in the same piece. Hi, my name is Ginger Vandenbrink and I'm a photographer. In Romans 1 verse 20, it says, For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky through everything God made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. God made day and night, waters and land, birds and animals, all before creating human beings. Here in Holland, we are fortunate to be able to enjoy sunsets on Lake Michigan as a part of God's beautiful creation. This particular sunset in May of 2020 allowed me to work with how I captured the combination of the growing darkness around us and the brilliance of the setting sun as its reflection spread to a cross on the waters of the lake. It reminds me that on Good Friday, that darkest of days, even then, God's creation in all its beauty will continue to carry the story of his amazing love to the ends of the earth. How cool is it that we have such good artists uh, in the Fellowship family and that they've been willing to share their gifts uh, with us uh, through this Lenten journey? I have a question for you this morning. Who is this? Who is this? It's the question we've really been wrestling with for the last three months as we've made our way through Matthew's gospel because all of the gospels are really answering the question, who is this Jesus? And Matthew does it in very explicit ways at times. In the very first verse, in the very first chapter of his gospel, he says that Jesus was the son of David, the son of Abraham. Jesus was a son of Israel. Later, he's baptized by John in the River Jordan where God declares that Jesus is his son, the beloved one in whom he is well pleased. In the first sermon ever by Jesus in a synagogue, he inaugurated his kingdom in the reading of Isaiah and interpreting that as himself, but also in numerous other synagogues, he preached the good news of the kingdom of God. Jesus was a preacher. And recurringly, in all of the Gospels, he touches or is touched, is sees or is uh, commands, and someone is healed. Jesus is a healer. But most of all, in Matthew, as you that have been around here for a little while, we have pointed out, Jesus, through his five great discourses, is a master teacher, one who is worth following, a rabbi who leads to true and abundant life. And yet... Even after all of that, after all of this life of ministry and Jesus' final entry into Jerusalem and his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, in that first ever Palm Sunday, Matthew's gospel records a, a, a crowd, a group of people asking, who is this? Who is this Jesus? 
Before we read this very familiar story from Palm Sunday, I'd like to invite you to begin considering who is this Jesus? We're going to engage it in a fresh way because it can be kind of a familiar one as we read it every year on Palm Sunday. So I'm going to have the words on the screen. You can follow along and you're going to play the part of the crowd. Those words will be in bold and you can read along with me. Before we do that, let's pray. God, thank you for making yourself known to us, for being a God who also seeks to be known, that yearns for us to be in a loving relationship with you. And so may that be so, even just a little bit more this morning as we read your word and your word is heard and begins to take shape in our lives. In Christ's name we pray, amen. The word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 21, verses one through 11. When they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village ahead of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, the Lord needs them and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet. Tell the daughter of Zion, look, your kingdom is coming, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds went ahead of him, and that followed were shouting. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the highest heaven. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, who is this? The crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we can't tell clearly in just reading the scriptures or having the words printed in our Bibles is where the emphasis of the crowd's question is. It matters, I think, how you ask, who is this Jesus? For instance, if you put the emphasis on the is, on the verb, who is, is this implies kind of a question of identity. Um, what is their name? Where do they come from? How do we know who they are? For example, it'd be like, who is that person that I saw in the atrium? What is her name? Or who is that actress in Wakanda forever? She crushed it. She is so good. How do I know who that is? Or, or who is that ridiculous point guard from Kansas State? Who owned us in the whatever sweet 16? Come on. Who is that person? When we place the emphasis on the verb, it's a question of identity, of a hidden identity. Maybe someone that we should recall or wish that we could recall. But when we place the emphasis on the this, on the noun, who is this, it seems to me that is a question of surprising character. Like, who is this Jess Mix who doesn't wear glasses anymore because she had LASIK surgery and she can see? 
Who is this? Karen Donker. I thought she was the kid's hoping hand-to-hand person, and she's back there running the sound? Or who is this? Ken Ericks. I thought he was the retired pastor, and he's out in the parking lot greeting people on a freezing cold morning. Seems to me that when we place the emphasis on the noun, on the this, it's a question of surprise, of shock, amazement, of a different expectation than we once had. Who is this Jesus? Or who is this Jesus? Which question was the crowd asking? Which question are you asking this morning? It probably depends on which of the crowds who asked the question. You see, there were a lot of crowds in Jerusalem that first Palm Sunday. The city was going crazy. It was in turmoil, the text says, which is another word uh, for shaken. It was a a buzz. It was the same word that is used for an earthquake, which will be later on in Matthew's gospel as well. The city was going crazy because there were so many people there, and Jesus had come to town. There were at least four, if not more, crowds that were gathered in Jerusalem for that first Palm Sunday. They were the crowd of the townies, everybody from town that lived there all the time. It was a big city, it was a holy city, and so therefore there were people that lived there all the time, and they come out when there's a big festival. On top of that, there was also the crowd of the Romans who had come to town to make sure that these Jews don't get a little uprising thought in their minds and wanted to make sure that they keep them under their thumbs, so there was the crowd of the Romans. But there was also the crowd of the pilgrims who had come from all over Israel to gather in Jerusalem for that big festive holiday, the Passover, and celebrating God's liberation from their ancestors out of Egypt and, in fact, yearning for that to happen for them as well. But there was also the crowd of the Jesus followers, those who had heard his preaching and something had stirred in them, and they had decided up in Galilee when he was preaching up there that they were going to follow him all the way down the road, to Jer- road of Jericho into Jerusalem. There were a lot of crowds in Jerusalem, and the city was abuzz. It was shaken, and all because Jesus had come to town. I mean, it would be like... It would be like what would happen in Grand Rapids if the cast of uh, Hamilton, the original cast, said, we're going to do a reunion tour and we're going to start our tour in Grand Rapids. It would, be like, it would be like if Zava decided not to join the AFC Richmond Soccer Club, but instead was going to join this Tulip City United Soccer Club right here in Holland. Not too many uh, Ted Lasso fans out there. <laughs> It would be like if Caitlin Clark, superstar basketball player from Iowa, decided she was going to have a basketball camp and it was going to start right here at West Ottawa High School for any girls in the Holland community. It would be like if Patrick Sisler was named the Holland Zealand Community Foundation. Come on, congratulations, Patrick Sisler, our very own. Giddy up. The crowds were abuzz. The city was in an uproar. It was shaken to its core. Jesus had come to town. And Jesus hadn't come to town just as a rabbi or not just as a teacher, not just as some son of Joseph, a carpenter's son, not as an upstart prophet from Nazareth or a young fiery preacher. Jesus had come to town as a king. And one of the crowds wanted to make that abundantly clear. Jesus was their king. And they did that in three different ways. With their cloaks, with their palms, and with the words that they used. First, 
They did that with their cloaks. N.T. Wright tells a story of this, some dude named Sir Walter Raleigh, who has a pointy hat and a sword and is pretty powerful. But uh, he was from an English guy from the time of Queen Elizabeth. And uh, he was a statesman, an explorer, a soldier. He's attributed as being one of the people that helped colonize North America. Well, one day he was traveling through London, the story says, and he was with none other than Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth. And all of a sudden, they came upon a mud puddle. And what did he do? He took off his cloak and put it on the ground so that the queen would not have to walk through the mud puddle. Whether or not this story is actually true is up for debate. But the point is, the reason that the story is still told is that it's pretty unusual to take your coat off and put it on the ground for someone else. It's a significant sign of respect. But that's exa- and that's exactly what the disciples did. They took off their cloaks, not probably one of many like Sir Walter Raleigh, but their only cloak, and they put it on a donkey and underneath a donkey, and donkeys do what donkeys do after they eat food, and they did it on their coats. They didn't have washing machines either. This was a significant sacrifice, a sign of respect, a sign of honor for someone, but not just a sign of respect and honor. It was also a sign of royalty. Faithful Jews knew what happened back in the day of King Yehu. They knew about King Yehu. He, during the time of King Ahab, I know this is just a little quick Nate version, but King Ahab was one of the most evil kings in all of Israel. He was power hungry. He took over the capital city of Samaria. Is my sound going off? Come on. How's that? That's, that's good. So he was in the temple, and he built a temple to Baal right there in Samaria. He persecuted any prophets that spoke against him. He even killed innocent people. And so there was this like kind of stirring that we need a new king. Well, Elisha, the prophet, one of God's own, sent another prophet over to, to Yehu, who wasn't a king at the time. He was just an officer, and he said, this guy's going to be the king. And so he poured oil, uh, this prophet poured oil on Yehu and prophesied that he would become the king. Yehu's like, Dude, I'm not the king. I'm not going to mess with that guy. He kills people. But his soldiers, the people in the room that heard about this, his companions said, you are the king. And you know how they showed that he was going to be the king that was going to usurp the king of Israel? What did you think they did? They took off their cloaks and they put them on the ground. Cloaks on the ground are a sign of a king who was going to usurp the other king in power. It was a sign of royalty. So for you parents and grandparents like me who sometimes come home and find your entryway, you might rethink what your, parent, your kids are saying. It's not a sign of disrespect. It's actually a sign of recognition that you are the king or the queen of your home. The crowd putting their cloaks on the ground for Jesus were declaring loud and clear who is this This is King Jesus who is going to take over political rule. No more ruthless Roman leaders. Jesus was going to come and usurp rule in Jerusalem, and it was going to be great. Jesus is going to redeem us, restore political power, and take out the corrupt government. 
The crowd also professed that Jesus was going to be king with the palms that they waved. Sure, you could say that they just reached for anything green, and in a desert like Jerusalem, there's not much green like we have in April when it snows. In Michigan, there's not much green, so you're just grabbing what you got. Maybe, but the palms were actually a national symbol. They were implanted on the same coins that the emperor made for the bartering and exchanging of goods. But they also carried some significance historically for the people of Israel. There was this other guy named Judas Maccabeus, who you can find his stuff in the Apocrypha, 2 Maccabees 10, this story is told, who was a priest, a scholar, a leader, and uh, from just a few centuries before Jesus. And he uh, sought to purify Israel of the influence of the Greek gods that had been stirring up in their city. And so he went out and did this revolt, this cleansing of all of Israel. And, And he restored the right worship of God in all of their cities. And when he came home to Jerusalem, what do you think the people grabbed to wave to to praise Judas of Maccabeus. Palms. Palms, of course, and you can read about that in the the Apocrypha, like I mentioned. The crowd that was waving palms was declaring loud and clear, King Jesus was going to purify Jerusalem, restore it to religious prominence, the no more false worship. Jesus would now worship the one true king of Israel. And they were going to be set apart from all the other nations. Jerusalem was going to be great. Lastly, and maybe most explicitly, the crowds used their words to declare Jesus as king. This was not an accident what they shouted, what we just shouted a few moments ago. Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna in the highest is very, very royal language. Jesus wasn't just entering into the city of David as an upstart prophet or a respected teacher. He was entering into the city as the very city's namesake. The long-awaited king, the Messiah, Yehu and Maccabeus, who knows who they are. Maybe a few people know of their obscurity. They pale in comparison to the prominence of King David. I mean, who goes to Washington, D.C. to see President Rutherford Hayes or President Millard Fillmore's picture in the White House? No, you go to Washington, D.C. to see the Washington Monument, the tower that is higher than everything else in the city, the, the very namesake of the city. David was not the first king, but he was by far the most prominent in Israel's history. He was the epitome of a king, the conquering hero, the man after God's heart. Jerusalem, in fact, was the fulfillment of his vision of a permanent place for the Ark of the Covenant. Shouting Hosanna to the son of David was a clear declaration. Jesus was the king, the promised one of Israel, the Messiah who would save us and bring about prosperity just like David and his descendants. He's going to be like David, but even better. It's going to be great. Who is this Jesus 
for the crowd following him, this Jesus would be a king, a king who would politically redeem Israel to a place of power like Yehu did, who would purify and sanctify Israel like Maccabeus did, who would reestablish Davidic rule as the promised one of God and restore prosperity for our nation. It was going to be great. No wonder the other crowds in Jerusalem asked, who is this Jesus? This guy from Nazareth? This carpenter's son? The teacher? Come on, he's not a Messiah. He's not a king. Sure, you can take off your cloaks. Sure, you can wave your palms. Sure, you can ride him in on a donkey. That doesn't make him king. He's not our king. Of course the town was in an uproar. Of course the town was stirred and shaken to its core. Some are acclaiming Jesus as king, while others are questioning him altogether. But as is often the case, Jesus doesn't just surprise the skeptical, onlooking crowd. Jesus surprises his own followers who declared him as king. Interestingly enough, They don't even know him as well as they think they know him. Jesus isn't quite that simple, is he? Because we know by the end of the week, there would be no taking over of temple leadership like Maccabeus, but rather a submission to their murderous plans. There would be no coronation of his kingship like Yehu, but rather cruel persecution with floggings and beatings. No crown to glorify his rule, but a thicket of thorns to humiliate. No lifting up of a sword like King David, but a sword pierced side signifying his ultimate death. No anointing of his head with oil, but rather an attempt to anoint his body for his burial. By the end of the week, all will be asking, who is this? This is our king. This is the son of God. This is our Messiah. Who is this Jesus? My friends, Holy Week begins today with Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Though mystifying, unexpected, and still shocking, by the end of the week, Jesus will reveal a different kind of kingship, a different kind of king. Not only a king over the empires of this world, but a king over sin and death. Not a king over one people, but a kingdom for every tribe and every nation. Not a king over Roman rulers, but a king over the principalities of power and death itself. Not a king from one time in history, but a king for all of eternity. And maybe, maybe, maybe most of all, a king who 2,000 years later is still calling people into his kingdom, inviting them to reside and participate in his surprising kingdom works for the sake of the crowds of this world. As I've considered this week, who is this Jesus who redefines kingship? I couldn't help but think of many of you as retirees who instead of trading in your work to stare at a TV, give of yourself 
as mentors to kids hope, as prayers and card writers for your church family and your nuclear family, as volunteers who give of yourself for pet cart with, for those with limited ability, for those or those who pack lunches, for those who need, are in need of our, in our community or serve lunches. I thought of you, parents of children in the home who not only give of your kids daily and seek to raise them in the faith of Jesus Christ, but also model it by giving of yourself, volunteering as a Sunday school teacher, youth group leader, or as a rec league basketball coach, or by partnering with your local school and giving of your time, your talent, or your treasure. I think of you as students who give of yourselves to be our tech team participants or lead us in worship who clean up yards or participate in programs like links at your school or even just seeing someone in pain in your lunchroom and going to sit next to them. I think of you. But this week, I also think of our call for this week to visit the prisoner, to be with the imprisoned that Jesus said himself to us. And I think about the cards that are available in the atrium. And I think about the Calvin Prison Initiative a program that provides prisoners with the opportunity for a bachelor's level education in jail. Who is this? A college? Now Hope College is the same as well that educates prisoners? Who is this? Christians caring for those who are in prison? To introduce you to this awesome program, I want you to check out this short little video. It'll give you a little snapshot of what it's about. This program has changed my life. It's given me an opportunity to be the person I feel like I was always meant to be. College and prison is something that is becoming almost non-existent. For an institution to come in here and offer a fully accredited bachelor's degree was unbelievable. When I initially heard about the CPI program, I was elated. Who gets an opportunity to uh, get a second chance? When I did my master's, I did thesis work on how uh, education reduces recidivism. That's what made me actually pursue trying to you know, get Calvin to be here at the Hamlin facility. The Calvin Prison Initiative for me was a no-brainer. Jesus himself told us to take care of the prisoners. I mean, where do you get any higher authority and higher instruction than that? The reason we do what we do is because it's the right thing to do. This is what we believe Christ calls us to do. It's a living illustration of our own lives. In our sin, we are without a hope. And yet, God, out of his abundant grace and love, comes to us anyway. We all want a second opportunity, a second chance. For me, that might not be freedom, but I have a second chance to do something with my life that's going to count. Every person has a potential to affect, uh, as Kuiper calls it, God or Christ every square inch. So we might not be able to change a lot of things, but there's a sphere of influence that each one of us has. Calvin College coming into Hanlon campus and bringing in the CPI program has been such a tremendous blessing in my life. 
one that I will be forever grateful for, one that I will be paying forward the rest of my life. Who is this? This King Jesus who sets prisoners free even though they may never leave a prison? Who is this King Jesus who leads academics, professors to humble themselves and teach in a jail? Who is this King Jesus who prompts a congregation to love prisoners they may and likely will never meet? Who is this King Jesus who loves forgives, teaches, saves, gives life, and redeems through humbly submitting himself to death on a cross and later three days rising again. Who is this Jesus? This is a new kind of king, a new kind of kingdom, a king whose passion will lead to life. A king who, remarkably, in a very, very common way, makes himself known to us in the reading of scripture and in the breaking of a common loaf of bread with common cup, with common people. Who is this King Jesus who sits host at a table and welcomes all who love him, all who are learning to follow his way? Who is this King Jesus this morning, we come to this table to remember King Jesus, to remember what he did for us and what he continues to do for us. We come to this table to have communion with King Jesus and with King Jesus' followers. We come to this table in hope, believing that this table is a foretaste, a, a minuscule example of the, of the kingdom that we will someday inherit and experience in its utter fullness. We come to this table in remembrance, in communion, and in hope. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to us to give our thanks and praise. Holy and right it is and our joyful duty to give thanks to you, O God, at all times and in all places. O Lord, our creator, almighty and everlasting God, you created heaven with all its hosts and the earth with all its plenty. You have given us life and being and preserve us by your providence. But you have shown us the fullness of your love in sending into the world your son, Jesus Christ, the eternal word made flesh for us and for our salvation. For the precious gift of this mighty savior who has reconciled us to you, we praise and we bless you, O God. With your whole church on earth and with all the company of heaven, we worship and adore your glorious name. Uh-huh. 
Most righteous God, we remember in this supper the perfect sacrifice offered once on the cross by our Lord Jesus Christ for the sin of the whole world. And in the joy of this, his resurrection and in expectation of his coming again, we offer ourselves to you as holy and living sacrifices. Together we proclaim the mystery of the faith. Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ, Christ will, will come, come again. again. Send your Holy Spirit upon us, we pray, that the bread which we break and the cup which we bless may be to us the communion of the body and blood of Christ. Grant that, being joined together in him, we may attain to the unity of the faith and grow up in all things into Christ our Lord. And as this grain has been gathered from many fields into one loaf, and these grapes from many hills into one cup, grant, O Lord, that your whole church may soon be gathered from the ends of the earth into your kingdom. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. On the same night that Jesus was to be betrayed, he took bread, and after he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, the same night, after a little bit of time it passed, he took the cup, and he poured it full, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, and as often as you drink of it, do so in remembrance of me. Friends, the bread which we break and the cup which we bless is for us our communion with the body and the blood of Christ. I invite those that are helping with communion to come forward. This morning we will be receiving communion by intinction, which means you will come up to the front, leaving from the left and returning to the right. Uh, there will be a sign on the front, uh, but you'll take a piece of bread, dip it in the cup, and then uh, partake. If you prefer uh, gluten-free, there will be a station here. If you want to stay in your seat, just wave your hand, and someone uh, from one of our uh, rovers will come and serve you right in your chair. At Fellowship, we profess that all those that love God and are learning to follow Jesus uh, are welcome at this table. My friends, uh, and you can come when you are ready. Uh, these are the gifts of God for you, the people of God. Come, for all things are now ready.
is this King Jesus, whose passion this week will reveal a different kind of kingdom, one in which you are invited to reside and participate in. As you go, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. Peace.